This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Chapter 6 Cucumber Cow The dining room was deserted, except for the children. Male voices mingled with the sound of the piano, indicated that Richard and his friends had adjourned to the front room. The supper table was cleared, but at one end of it, three heads were bent over some toy or game. As Judith passed through with Abigail's tray, she said pleasantly, Hello, Thorn. I didn't know you were here. And the dark head came up in startled alarm. She's staying with us while Aunt Jane and Uncle Alec go to choir practice, explained Ricky. I just came, said Thorn quickly. She had worn Jane's scarlet hood and it still hung by its strings about her shoulders. Her eyes were bright and her cheeks rosy from her run through the crisp night air. The Mitchells had dropped her off at the lane, and she seemed alert with some happy expectancy. Judith, fresh from her talk with Abigail, wondered if Richard knew the child had come. Does anyone know you're here, Thorn? Grandma knows it's all right, said Ricky. You won't tell Miss Abigail, said Thorn anxiously. Judith shook her head. Don't make any noise, though, or she'll hear you. We We won't was the solemn promise. And the three heads bent over once more, over some object in Thorne's lap. Judith, curious, paused behind Thorne's chair. The object on her lap was a remarkably homely rag doll. A scrap of flowered shelly was pinned to its cotton body, and on its blank muslin face, unspeakably leering features, had been worked in darning cotton. Thorn was stitching a wad of auburn hair combings to its shapeless head. My goodness, Thorn, can't you make something prettier than that? It isn't finished, Miss Judith. The dress is only pinned on. It wasn't the dress that made it hideous. It was the grotesque face and the homemade wig. Where did you get the hair? asked Judith. From the little china box in Mama's room, five-year-old Raji piped up. Millie was going to empty it in the trash, but I saved it for my dolly. It's my dolly, isn't it, Thorn? It is not. It's mine, said his older brother. I got the dress, didn't I, from Mama's piece bag. They were still arguing ownership of the doll as Judith went down the covered passageway to the kitchen. Miss Anne was setting yeast for Saturday's baking. While Millie washed the vast array of supper dishes piled on the zinc-topped table, Judith explained her errand, which Miss Anne immediately vetoed. My dear, you're not going to spend your entire evening with Abigail. Just set the tray down on the oilcloth table, and as soon as I get my hands out of this yeast, I'll warm some soup and take it into her. You've done enough by sitting with her while the rest of us ate supper. Judith made but a half-hearted protest. She had had enough of Abigail for one evening. You can take some cider into the front room if you like. It's already been brought up from the cellar. In that jug there, under the pump, keeping cool. Just pour some in that blue pitcher, and you'll find glasses on the shelf in the cupboard. There's another tray, too, on top of the safe. Reach it down for her, Millie. 
and that plate of gingerbread goes with it. Jesse Moffat hasn't brought the apples up yet. When he does, we'll take a bowl of them in, too. Now have you got everything? Asked Miss Anne briskly, as Judith hesitated, tray in hand. Do you suppose it's all right for me to go in there? She felt a sudden reluctance to crash the all-male gathering. To be sure it's all right. Anne Tomlinson's blue eyes twinkled. Lucius Goff was disappointed when he didn't see you at supper. It was not Lucius Guff, but she could not explain that to Richard Tomlinson's mother. She went back through the covered passage to the dining room, where she paused to rest her heavy tray and compose herself before entering the front room. She felt unaccountably warm and flushed. Giggles from the foot of the table were quickly smothered at her reappearance. She wondered irritably why children always reacted to a school ma'am, as though they were an ogre. She wanted Richard's children to like her, not fear her. So she asked brightly how the doll was coming along. Ricky cried eagerly, Oh, I've got something better than a doll. I've got a cow and she was... And then choked and sputtered as Thorne's hand clapped over his mouth, extinguishing his enthusiasm. What about the cow? Asked Judith. Nothing, said Thorne. I just made him a cow so he wouldn't want Raji's doll. Judith went closer to look at the cow. It stood on toothpick legs in a flat saucer, looking exactly what it was, a ripe cucumber with a small potato stuck on one end. But the eyes of the potato gave it a ludicrously lifelike appearance, just as there had been something queerly expressive about the features of the doll. Her name's Flossie, said Ricky. Because she's got a face just like Mr. Shook's Flossie that stays in our pasture. Henry Shook had been pasturing his cows at Timberley until he got rid of the wild turnip that was infesting his own land. Judith laughed at the cow and asked Thorne where she had found a cucumber so late in the season. She had brought it with her, she explained, from the Mitchells. It was the last cucumber on the vine. Stealthy, quiet, settled behind Judith's back as she went out of the dining room. She wondered what the little imps were up to now, then forgot all about the children as she paused outside the door to the front room. Here, too, all was quiet. Where a short time before there had been laughter and music, there was now not even the murmur of conversation. The children back in the dining room were no more ominously hushed than were the men in the front of the house. There was no answer to Judith's knock. After a second knock, she quietly opened the door. The light from the hall lamp fell upon a room that was in darkness except for the glow of the fire. Richard Tomlinson stood with his back to the hearth. John Barclay sat on the piano stool. Both were intently watching a small table at which sat Lucius Gough and Doc Baird. The hands of these two men were lightly resting on the table. Judith's apologetic, Please don't let me disturb you, brought an explosive, Damn! from Lucius, and a discordant crash from the piano as John Barclay's arm hit the keyboard. Doc Baird pushed the table aside, and Richard touched a paper spill to the fire and lighted the candles. Then he came forward to relieve Judith of her tray. Thank you so much. His smile was reassuring, but she was conscious of nothing but a desire to be elsewhere. She turned quickly to leave, but he stopped her. Please don't go yet. I'd like to present my friends. 
Gathering together what shreds of dignity remained, Judith acknowledged the introductions. It seemed unnecessary to mention that she had met the gentleman before, nor did John Barclay or Doc Baird allude to any previous meeting. But Lucius Guff, who seemed still irritated at the interruption, drawled, Charmed, Miss Amory. I'm always charmed to meet you. Then, coolly turning, spoke to the other men as though there were no lady present. I tell you, it can be done under the proper circumstances. Doc and I had great success when we tried it alone. We've never succeeded with other people around, but that's because something always occurs to break the concentration, like tonight. He did not glance at Judith, but his rebuke was no less pointed. I don't say it can't be done, said John Barkley. I merely say it's no proof of supernatural manifestation. But we all know Doc Baird has some sort of magnetic power in his body. We've seen him cure too many headaches to doubt it. If he can stop a pain by laying his hands on the spot, there's no reason to think he can't cause a table to move the same way. But that doesn't prove that the spirits of the dead can communicate with us. I still say the Fox sisters were frauds. Lucius retorted, You're dodging the issue. Doc's power to cure headaches and pains has nothing to do with the psychic phenomena. I don't claim that table tipping is supernatural manifestation, but I do assert it is the power of mind over matter. The schoolmaster smiled, but he shook his head. I've yet to see a piece of furniture moved by someone's willpower. You admit the table does nothing until Doc lays his hands on it. You and I tried it. You and Richard tried it. But only when Doc's hands touch it does it so much as quiver. Maybe it's just as well Miss Amory opened the door when she did. This is a good Methodist table, and I'm sure it would have been scandalized if Doc had raised it clear off the floor. There was a laugh at that. Richard said hastily before. Lucius's quick tongue could reply. How about some more music? Perhaps Miss Judith will play for us and we can have a little harmony. Judith had been listening with interest. She could have held her own in this argument. Her father had been a keen student of the occult. He had gone in for mysticism, as some men go in for stamp collecting. Judith had a small trunk full of his books upstairs. But it seemed there was to be no further discussion. The schoolmaster was relinquishing the piano stool to her. Richard was thumbing through a songbook for some of his favorites. The room soon rang with Captain Jinx and Nellie Gray and Camp Town races. Miss Anne and Millie in the kitchen hummed together over their work. The children in the dining room sang at their play, and Abigail, lying wakeful in her bedroom, sat up suddenly and reached for her wrapper. Through two closed doors and under cover of a male quartet, she had caught the sound of a voice for which she had been listening. After the last verse of Annie Laurie, Judith excused herself. Much as she wanted to stay, she had the good sense to leave her audience clamoring for more. I'm sorry, but I really must go. I promised the children I'd read to them. But when she had closed the door behind her, she leaned against it for a moment, smiling in elation. Richard Tomlinson's obvious disappointment at her withdrawal was something to sleep on. She decided to go on up to her own room and not bother with the children tonight. And then she heard a door open and close somewhere. Shuffling footsteps sounded along the passage. 
She knew those steps. Abigail was up and moving around in her clumsy bedroom slippers. Judith thought, she'll go into the dining room and find Thorn, and then there will be the devil to pay. She had a swift vision of Richard humiliated before his guests. She had better take Thorn upstairs with her before Abigail made any discoveries. The children still sat at the lower end of the dining table, so quiet that for a moment, Judah thought they were asleep. But no, their eyes were wide open, fixed, spellbound, on the cucumber cow, which Thorn had made. It still stood in the china saucer, and Thorn was pretending to milk it. She talked softly to it the way a milkmaid talks when coaxing an animal to give down milk. Judith went close and leaned across the table. If she called to Thorn, Abigail might hear her. And then she stood stock still with astonishment. Thorn was actually milking the cucumber cow. Incredible as it seemed, with each pressure of the small brown fingers on the toothpick udders, a tiny stream of milk squirted into the saucer. How long Judith stood there, she was never sure. She never heard the opening of a door or the shuffling of bedroom slippers across the carpet. She heard nothing, saw nothing, except a slowly widening pool of milk in the bottom of a saucer. Suddenly, Thorne sat back in her chair and made a graceful little gesture of finale. There, that's all. She relaxed as though her performance had been something of a strain. But her juvenile audience was not satisfied. Do it again, Thorne. Make Flossie give more milk. Flossie can't give any more milk. Why? She's sick. See? She can't hold her head up. And in truth, the weight of the potato on the quill toothpick had caused it to sag in the overripe cucumber. Is Flossie going to die? asked Ricky anxiously. After all, the cow was his property. Suddenly, Thorne saw a dramatic finish for her act and a way to avoid an encore. Flossie will never give milk anymore. She's dead. She gave the wobbly head the slightest prod and it fell off. The legs coupled beneath the cucumber for all the world like the legs of an animal succumbing to sickness. There was nothing left of Flossie but a couple of vegetables and a few toothpicks. And a small puddle of milk. The little boys said solemnly, Flossie's Flossie's dead. dead. Judith came out of the grip of a spell incredibly potent. She opened her mouth to say, A great performance, Thorn. Now tell us how you did it. But the words were never spoken, for another voice, harsh with triumph, came from across the room. Now do you believe she's a witch? Abigail stood there, clutching her chalice wrapper around her emaciated body. Judith thought swiftly. She shouldn't have seen this. And wondered how she could prevent a scene. It's a trick, Mrs. Tomlinson, a sleight-of-hand trick. Thorne's very clever that way. It's witchcraft. I saw what she did. I saw her milk the cucumber. Roger, go tell your father to come here. Roggy, always fearful of his mother's wrath, moved promptly, but Judith's hands stayed him. Wait, Roger, please. Miss Abigail, don't call Mr. Tomlinson. It's nothing to bother him about. I've been watching the children play. 
It's only innocent make-believe. You saw her get milk from the cucumber after telling the children it was a cow. I saw her pretend to get milk from the cucumber. Abigail thrust a finger into the saucer, then licked her finger. It's milk. Taste it if you don't believe me. I don't have to taste it. I know it's milk. But it didn't come out of the cucumber. Then where did it come from? Judith was baffled. For a moment, she could neither credit nor deny what her eyes had seen. Again, Abigail ordered her son to fetch his father. And Judith watched the child depart, powerless to forestall the thing she had tried so hard to prevent. All this time, Thorne had said not a word. She stood a little apart from the others, her hands behind her back. Judith turned on her with crisp schoolroom authority. Come, Thorne, show us how you played the trick. She retrieved the toothpicks from the china saucer and stuck the legs back on the cucumber. But it was soft, with much handling, and immediately collapsed. Flossie can't stand up. She's dead, said Ricky. Nonsense! Judith spoke sharply to Thorne. Make the cow stand up. I can't, whispered Thorne. It was plain she was frightened half out of her senses. Of course you can, said Judith. You made the cow perform once. You can do it again. We all know it's just a trick. We want you to show us how it's done. But Thorne's fear of Abigail had frozen her. She seemed unable to move or speak. Abigail said, She won't do it again because Richard's coming. She doesn't want him to know what devil's game she's been playing with his children. But Richard will know. Because she can't lie out of it this time. It won't be her word against mine. Nobody can say I was having hysterics this time. Because you saw it too, Miss Judith. Her voice rose shrilly. The hall door opened and Richard stood there. His glance swept the circle of frightened faces and came back to his wife. What's the matter, Abigail? Maybe you'll believe me now, Richard. Maybe you believe this girl is a witch. Abigail pointed vindictively to Thorn. What are you talking about? She made a cow out of a cucumber and milked it right in front of our eyes. If you think I'm crazy, ask Miss Judith. She's not your wife. She has no grudge against your little pet. Ask Miss Judith whether or not I'm telling the truth. It was ghastly, indecent. The way the woman's voice rose higher and higher, screaming her senseless jealousy to all the house. Judith burned with vicarious humiliation for the man who stood so quietly under his wife's tongue. He asked Thorne gravely, Have you been playing tricks again, Cricket? His own youngsters clamored to testify. The six-year-old said, She milked the cow, father. We saw it. And the five-year-old, who had followed close on his father's heels, added, When the cow died, no more milk would come. Still, Thorne would not speak. She looked at Richard silently, desperate appeal in her eyes. He sat down at the table and drew her to him. Now, Thorne, I want you to make me a cow just as you did for the children. See, here's the cucumber and the potato. We'll put them together with these toothpicks. Now you'll show me how to milk her. Don't be afraid. No one's going to scold you. I just want to see how it's done. 
What might have happened if a door had not opened? Whether Thorne, in the protecting circle of Richard's arm, might have demonstrated the simple ledger domain will never be known, for Jesse Moffat, coming in from the barn with the nightly basket of apples, made the announcement that he had just come across Henry Shook's cow lying dead in the pasture. Hadn't been dead long, either. Must have had poison weed in her stomach when she come here. Why? What's the matter? He stared blankly at the shocked faces about him. Richard was on his feet as if bracing himself for an expected blow. Abigail was screaming. Now will you believe me? Now will you send that little witch away before she kills us all? Abigail, will you be quiet? But the hysterical woman could not be quieted. She turned on the startled farmhand. Henry Shook's cow never died from poison weed. She died from witchcraft. And there's the witch who killed her! She pointed to the white-faced girl. No, no, I didn't kill the cow. Thorne looked at Richard frantically. You don't believe I killed the cow, do you? Certainly not. How could you kill anything by sticking toothpicks in a cucumber? Come, Abigail, you know you don't believe any such nonsense. You're just working yourself into a nervous spell. Richard put his arm about his wife to lead her back to the room, but she pushed him away. You think I'm crazy? But ask Miss Judith. She saw that girl get milk from that thing she made. How did she do it if poor Flossie wasn't bewitched? It seemed to Judith that the room was suddenly filled with people. Through the open hall door, she saw the faces of Lucius Goff and Doc Bird, and the schoolmaster. And in the doorway of the covered passage peered the round, black face of Millie over the shoulder of Anne Tomlinson. Abigail's screams had penetrated the far corners of the house. Judith said to Richard, I saw Thorn milk the cucumber cow, but I've seen similar tricks before. It was just a piece of parlor magic. Of course, it had nothing to do with the death of anyone's cow. But if Thorne would perform the trick again and show us how it was done, I think Mrs. Tomlinson would feel better. Thorne was unable to perform the trick again, even with Richard putting the cow together and making it stand. She could not draw milk. She was too nervous. Her hands shook so that she could only fumble and murmur frantically. I can't. I just can't. You see? cried Abigail. She drew the lie from Flossie when she milked that toy. Now her victim's dead. She can't do anything with her witch doll. At the word doll, Thorne's eyes turned fearfully to the chair behind Abigail. Judith's eyes followed their glance. On the chair lay the rag doll Thorne had brought to Raji. All she had ever read on the subject of witchcraft warned Judith that Abigail, in her present state, must not see that doll. That's the way witches work, Abigail was saying. They make dolls to represent their victims. Then they work their evil charms on the doll until their victim dies. Ask Millie. She knows. But Millie had vanished. Doubtless, she had been the source of much of the invalid's information. Other eyes than Judith's had followed Thorne's glance. Other minds had telegraphed alarm. Lucius Goff signaled Richard, and Richard tried to draw his wife towards the door. 
But Abigail, faint now from long standing, pushed him away and sank down upon the very chair that held the doll. She felt the lump beneath her and pulled it forth. When she saw what it was, her face turned the color of death. For seconds, it seemed that no one breathed while the sick woman examined the doll. My clothes, she muttered. The scrap of chalice was a piece of the material from the wrapper Abigail was wearing. My hair. No one else in the Tomlinson's household had auburn hair. She has made a doll to look like me. And she has stuck pins straight into its body. The unfinished dress was indeed pinned fast to the cotton torso. She's killing me, Richard, as she killed the cow. Abigail looked up at her husband, and whether lucid or insane, there was no doubt she believed her own words. Abigail, you are beside yourself. Oh no, I have witnesses. Her voice was faint now from exhaustion. All these people see this doll with a pin stuck in its body. They have seen this girl kill a cow by sticking toothpicks in a cucumber. Unless you send her away, Richard, I shall die. Just as surely as Henry Shook's cow died. Long afterward, that thin voice came back like an eerie echo to every ear on which it fell that night. I shall die, Richard, unless you send her away. But at the moment, no one attached any significance to the words except the obvious one. Abigail had worked herself into a dangerous state. We must get her to bed, said Anne Tomlinson, and Richard lifted his wife in his arms, but she fought and struggled, screaming, I won't go to bed till you send that girl away. Till, in the end, Doc Baird had to help carry a woman who weighed less than a hundred pounds. It was a frightening, humiliating scene. The people left in the dining room avoided each other's eyes. Lucius Goff offered to go for the doctor, and on receiving a nod from Miss Anne, departed with John Barclay. Miss Anne started to the bedroom, then paused to regard the frightened huddle of children as though wondering what to do with them. I'll put them to bed, said Judith, and Anne Tomlinson hurried away. But left alone with the children, Judith faced a delicate problem. Against one of these children, a distraught woman was screaming two doors away. Was it wise to put Thorn in bed in this house? Are the Mitchells coming for you, Thorn? The girl shook her head. They're spending the night with Mr. Alex's folks. She's sleeping here tonight, said Ricky, and Raji added, Grandma said so. That settled it. Ordinarily, Thorn slept in the trundle bed when the spare room was occupied. But under the circumstances, it seemed wiser to remove her as far as possible from Abigail's proximity. So Judith led all three children upstairs and told Thorne to go into her room while she put the little boys to bed in their grandmother's room. But when she returned a little later, she found Thorne standing at the top of the stairs, listening for some sound from below. When Judith spoke to her, she started nervously. Is Richard going to send me away? Judith led the little girl into her own room and closed the door. I don't know what Mr. Tomlinson plans to do, 
But his wife is very sick, and those tricks you play frighten her. It is wrong to frighten people, Thorn. Into Thorn's young face, still pale with alarm, crept a gleam of wisdom older than time. She's not afraid, really. She just doesn't like me. She wants Richard to send me away. If he doesn't do it, she'll probably die just to prove I'm a witch. Judith struggled between a desire to laugh and a tingling sense of foreboding. There was a fey quality about this child. People don't die just to prove a point, she said dryly. Come, let me unbutton your dress. It's too cold to stand around without a fire. You must get to bed. As the close-fitting sleeves of her dress were pulled down over Thorne's arms, something dropped from one tight-clenched hand. Swift as a hummingbird, she swooped to retrieve it, but Judith's hand was quicker. Thorne, you foolish child! The object picked up from the carpet was a tiny squirt gun. Why didn't you show this to us down in the dining room? Thorne went on undressing. Judith began to get rather cross with her. A very clever trick, I'll admit, but it was wrong not to explain when you saw the people were frightened. Who taught you the art of Ledger Maine? But Thorne had nothing to say. She undressed in stubborn silence and climbed into bed. Judith looked at her thoughtfully before blowing out the candle. She lay in a little huddle, her face buried in the pillow. Perhaps she was crying. Don't worry, Thorne. Go on to sleep. I'll explain everything to Mr. Tomlinson. There was no sound from the little heap under the bedclothes. She was a strange child. Judith blew out the light and went quickly back downstairs. Stay tuned to the end of the show for a preview to next week's episode. Hey everyone, I'm Valerie Moss, and I'm the narrator for this mystery book, Project EF, as well as producer and director. You can find me at ValerieMoss.ca and check out my podcast, Valerie's Variety Podcast. The show is about eating, reading, and creating. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Here's the cast of characters for today's show. Hi, my name is Carol Sin. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. I will be the voice of Miss Ann Tomlinson. You can find me at carolsin.wordpress.com. You can also find me on YouTube and Instagram as Carol Sin. Hello, my name is David Boisvert. I'm a musician who currently resides in the Nashville, Tennessee area. I'm a saxophonist, keyboardist, and vocalist for three bands that play in and around Nashville, as well as the Southeast U.S., and have session recorded for a variety of local artists. It was my pleasure to record the songs Rock of Ages and Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow on piano. I'm pleased to say that Valerie is my cousin, and I'm so proud of her for producing Valerie's Variety podcast, as well as her audiobooks. I'm grateful to be a part of this project 
and I hope you have enjoyed listening as much as I have. Hi, my name is Kylie, and I'm playing the role of Judith. You can find me in my new podcast called Cryptic Soup, streaming now. You can also connect with me on my website, kingmarketingbykylie.com, and on my Instagram, at kmorgan, with two A's. Hello, my name is London Moss, and I was on my mom's podcast, Valerie's Variety Podcast. We did a few episodes together of London and Mom. Anyway, I did Thorn, a.k.a. Cricket, on Project DF, not known as I'm not telling the real name. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you like listening. Bye. Hey, everybody. My name is Rafe Telsch. I'm from Roanoke, Virginia in the United States. And I am the voice of Richard Tomlinson. You can find me on the podcast, Have Not Seen This. Hi, my name is Rain, like the weather, and I will, will be playing the role of Abigail. Uh, I have a YouTube page called WWE What If, where I talk about wrestling reviews and my anger against some storylines that I can't stand. Hi, my name is Zane Telch. I'm from Roanoke, Virginia, and I'm the voice of Ricky. Hello. My name is Jason Schnell. I have had the pleasure to read from the Gospel of Luke, as well as the voice of the Witch of Endor, and drummer, the salesman. You can find me at toasterfire2 at gmail.com. Music for this show is by Text Me Records and Leviath, called The Black Cat. Cover art image by Danny Muller. Podcast trailer and cover art designed by me, Valerie Moss. Here's a preview for next week's show. This is not a pleasant thing to say, Miss Judith, but I honestly believe that if my wife were allowed to whip Thorn, she would half kill her. Judith shared his belief, but she said tactfully, I take the razor, the pins, and the two sticks of whorehound candy, and I put them in the pan. Now who'll give me a dollar for the lot? There was breeding in every line of her fragile body. Where are your parents? Dead. My father had a beautiful act. Credit note. Thank you to KR0V on YouTube for providing permission to use her piano rendition of Jeek's Captain Jinx as the melody the men were playing around the piano with Miss Judith. See link in show notes. Disclaimer. Margaret Eckhard is the author of this book, the audio drama is based off of. Copyright 1941 by Doubleday Publishing House, now owned by Penguin Random House, who only supports current authors, who checked all available resources and directories for literary rights agents and contacts and found nothing. We tried to track down errors of Eckhart's, but to no avail. We reached out to the Indiana Library, who houses the largest amount of articles of Margaret Eckhart. They provided us with a renewal ID, R579915, and had consulted directories for her heirs and contacts. However, found nothing beyond Doubleday Publishing House, which was a dead end. We searched extensively for the copyright holders of this book to get permission to make the audio drama, but we're unable to find them. And if anyone has any information about the copyright for the book or the rights holders, please reach out to me.